We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll read a large portion of that together in just a moment. Um, in 2018, how many of you were here in 2018? I'm just curious, like, maybe better to ask who wasn't here in 2018. But in 2018, we actually went through the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and into 1 Samuel. We kind of peeked into the door of 1 Samuel, uh, covering some of the things that we'll talk about even this morning. But, but the emphasis of that, even though there's some great stories and it's a really dark period of Israel's history, the emphasis of that whole series as we continued through all of those different books was on the faithfulness of God to His people. Uh, the chesed of God, His covenant faithfulness to His people, that our God is a God who doesn't quit on his people. And if you've ever read those books or studied those books, you know he had plenty of opportunities where he could have pulled the plug. They were so unfaithful to him, yet he continued with consistency to show his great faithfulness uh, towards them. And so we're going to be jumping into the middle here in 1 Samuel 7, into the middle of some context that I want to catch you up on before we read this together. The most recent example of God's faithfulness uh, comes in these chapters where Israel was in a battle with the Philistines. That was common during this season of their life. And uh, they, they were losing and things weren't going well. And so the high priest, his name was Eli, his sons, uh, Phineas and uh, I can't remember his other son, Hopney or something maybe like that. They decided that what they would do so they could secure the battle was they were going to take the Ark of the Covenant out of Ramah where the tabernacle was set up and they were going to take it and they were going to take it to the battlefield and God would give them the victory because they took the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield. Well, these were severe acts of disobedience and severe disregard for truly understanding who God is and the holiness of God. They thought they could use the ark as some sort of a lucky charm that would help them win the battle. And what happens is they lose the battle and they lose the ark of the covenant. And the, the, the story goes that there was one in the battlefield who came running back to Ramah where, where Samuel or where uh, Eli is there. And uh, Eli is there sitting on the wall and, and, and the, the, the runner comes and says, your sons are dead. Both of them died in the battle. And then he says, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God is gone. And, and what happens in that moment is, is Eli falls backwards, breaks his neck, and dies. At the same time across town, Phineas' wife is going into labor, uh, and she is dying as a result of the labor and has a son. And before she dies, she names the child Ichabod name you may have heard just in popular culture, Ichabod, but it means this, the glory has departed. Uh, she, was, she was referencing the fact that the ark was gone, God has quit on his people, is what she wants to convey in her dying breath. Yahweh has left the building. But Yahweh didn't leave, did he? They may have moved away from Yahweh, but Yahweh wasn't done. And that story continues because this ark shows up in one of the Philistine villages. And what happens in that village? People start to get tumors. Uh, they're plagued by rats. They take the ark and they put it in the temple of one of their gods, Dagon. And they, they put it there in front of this, this statue, this idol to Dagon. And they come in the next day and the statue is laying on its face before the ark of God. They set it up again. They try it again. The next day it's dismembered. All of the, the, the limbs are taken off and they decide we got to do something different with this. 
And eventually, after some committee meetings, they decide we need to put this ark on a cart and send it back towards where the Israelites live, and that's exactly what they do. What I love about that story is Israel had nothing to do with that. That is all Yahweh showing his faithfulness. I haven't quit on you. And I would love to be those guys who were out there in the field that day when all of a sudden they see this cart coming along the way and on the back is the Ark of the Covenant. God had returned, God showing his faithfulness to Israel. Yahweh was wooing the people to himself and revival is coming as a result. And that's where we pick up on the context here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And so verse 1 says, The men of Kirith-Jerim, they came and they took up the ark of the Lord and they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill and they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark. And from that day that the ark was lodged at Kirith-Jerim a long time past, some 20 years even, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. There's a change in tone, right? They're lamenting now after the Lord. And in verse 3, Samuel says to all of the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord, to Yahweh, with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashereth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashereth, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered all at Mizpah, and they drew water, and they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Well... When the Philistines heard that the people of Israel gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines, they went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And so Samuel took a nursing lamb and he offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mitzvah and they pursued the Philistines and they struck them as far or as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mitzvah and Shin and he called its name Ebenezer. For he said, until now, the Lord has helped us. And so when the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines in all the days of Samuel, the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life and he went on a circuit year by year at Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzvah, and he judged Israel in all these places. And then he would remain in Ramah, for his home was there. And there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this 
historic moment in Israel's history. We thank you for what it teaches us about you. Teaches us about Israel, but it teaches us about you and your faithfulness. God, help us now to to understand a little bit deeper what's going on in this text, but Spirit, we pray that you would take it deeper than that and help us to recognize our own responsibilities as we think about who you are and who we are. Your great faithfulness and our oftentimes lack of faith. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin this chapter with a call to repentance. Uh, Israel is changing their tone from what they had previously known. And and right out of the gate in verse 3, Samuel, who is now fully established as the prophet uh, for Israel, he calls the people to repentance. He says, return to the Lord with all your heart. But that involves a couple things. Put away the idols. Stop worshiping the other gods, the gods of the culture around you. The false gods of the Canaanites, Baal, Asheroth, and others. But throwing the gods away isn't the only thing that needs to happen. There's there's more that has to happen. What do you do after you get rid of those things? You turn your whole heart to the Lord. You turn with everything to Yahweh. It's it's repeating really what what Moses had said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. With all your might. True repentance requires action. Emotion isn't enough. Israel had to both formally and functionally turn away from those gods so that they could turn to the one true God, Yahweh. And one, one ceremonial way of showing that interchange uh, that, that's taken place in their life is, is Samuel calls Israel together, together at Mitzvah. This is about five miles north of Jerusalem, and there they pour out water before the Lord. Now, if you scour through all of the the, the ceremonies of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you're not going to find this ceremony in there. This isn't one that they would regularly do. And so we're left scratching our head a little bit. But I think it makes sense to understand that this was a sign of their fast before the Lord. That they were giving these things up. And so they pour out their water before the Lord in recognition that they are going to fast. It's communicating to Yahweh, we want you more than we want you even the necessary things of our life. That's what we communicate in a fast. They're spiritually thirsty, spiritually hungry. Like Israel, we are called to remain repentant. Repentance isn't a a one and done thing for a Christian, is it? It's an everyday thing. We continue to struggle. We continue to find ourselves tangled in sin and we, we come back and we repent And we turn from the things that were pulling us away from our God and we turn back to Him. We focus our attention again on Christ, on His desires and not our own. His preferences over our own. Trusting in Him. Oftentimes that involves practical things that we need to put off in our lives and things that we need to put on. The, 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 the list of the, the fruit of the flesh that we, we recently looked at, well, recently, a couple years ago in Galatians. And the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, these are the things that are supposed to grow. It's not an overnight change, but we're called to repent. We're called to continue to grow What we see next in the story is there's grace for victory. The Philistines, they get word that Israel has gathered together at Mitzvah. 
We can kind of figure that, you know, Israel's kind of an occupied people at this point, right? They're, they're under the control of the Philistines. They still have some of their freedoms, but it was probably against the rules for big groups to gather together. And so when the Philistines hear that this big group is gathered together, they're probably thinking in their minds, they're revolting against us. That's not what they had gathered for, right? They gathered to repent. I, I love that, that they're coming together for the, the right reason to repent before the Lord. It's not about revolt for them in this moment, but the Philistines don't know that, and so they prepare for battle against Israel. Word gets back to Mitzvah that the Philistines are coming. And I love this slight change. You see, their knee-jerk reaction is what? When they hear the Philistines are coming, who do they go to this time? Samuel, don't stop praying for us, Samuel. Their hearts are drawn to the Lord now. It's not about things of the flesh. They know they need the Lord's help, the Lord's protection. And so they plead with Samuel that he would not cease to pray for them, that Yahweh would save them from the hand of the Philistines. What a change for Israel. Just a couple chapters earlier, they were taking the ark of God to the battlefield trying to twist God's arm into giving them a victory, and now they're humbling themselves before him. They've got a better perspective. So Samuel takes a baby lamb, and he offers a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. The text describes it as if Samuel is offering this lamb, and he's praying for the protection of Israel from the Philistines, and at the same time, the Philistines are now at the edges of the camp there at Mitzvah where Israel is gathered together. And what does Yahweh do? He sends some sort of a noise. I, I don't know that it was thunder. It said, it, it's equated to thunder, but whatever it was, it scared the Philistines away. They were so confused by what they heard in that moment that they're running in every direction trying to escape. And Israel's looking around. Man, let me grab that, let me grab that garden utensil. And they, they start chasing them down. And they rout them as far away as Beth Carr which depending on who you, who you read and who, where people think Beth Carr was could be as far as seven miles, could be as far as like 20 miles away. <laughs> they chased the Philistines. So what's going on? Israel's finally getting it right. They're doing what they're called to do. And even when they're doing what they're called to do, what happens? The enemy attacks. But because their focus is on the Lord, they don't have to fear their, their, their knee-jerk reaction in this moment is now trust. When I think of these kinds of situations, I, I think of where we're at as a church. We're in a really good place, right? We, we've, we're healthy. There's a unity. And I remember having this conversation even a few years ago, and, and Dustin was like, we've got to be mindful that that's when the devil attacks and that's what's happening here. Israel's doing things right. They're moving in the right direction. And here comes an attack from the enemy. We have to be mindful as a church and aware of the enemy's attacks. Watch yourself. Satan, a roaring lion, wants to destroy you. He wants to bring situations in your life that, that just make you bitter. He wants to bring situations in your life that, that cause you to doubt his faithfulness. He wants to bring people into your life that are going to pull you away and peel you away from your love for Christ. That's what he wants to do. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to watch for others, too. We've tried to be very vocal about this. 
We gotta watch out for each other. It's the beauty of the church that we're called to have eyes on others and, and have an awareness of what's going on in the life of another person so that when they're under attack, we can pray, we can encourage them, we can step into their lives and be their, be their battle buddy to fight the enemy away. And I just want you, his, his tactics are not new. He'll go for the marriage. He'll go for the family. He'll bring sickness. He'll bring division. He'll bring doctrinal things and doubt into your life, distractions that are trying to pull you away, all of those things, well-proven tactics over the centuries. Watch yourself. Well, finally in the story, we get to the point that drew me to this passage for Memorial Weekend. All of this just leads up to what happens next. The worship of remembering. So following this victory, Verse 12 tells us that Samuel sets up a stone between Mitzvah and Shin. But he names the stone Ebenezer. Ebenezer. And that means just literally it's a stone of help. To have the name Ebenezer, it's a stone of help. But the intended meaning comes as, as it's being explained to us by the author, until now the Lord has helped us. Now that doesn't mean like he's done helping us. I think sometimes we read that and we're like, well, until now the Lord's been our help, but looking forward, it's not. No, he's saying up to this point, who's helped us? Who's been the hero of our story? Who's been the redeemer? Who's been the rescuer? It's been the Lord time and time again. You remember when they crossed the Jordan, what they did? They set up stones. They set up 12 stones in a stack. What? To remember. They wanted to remember Yahweh's deliverance in bringing them in to the promised land. Samuel does something very similar here. It's intending for Israel to look back and recognize the, that chesed, that faithfulness that God has shown his people time and time again. He's helped them over and over and Samuel doesn't want them to forget it. And so he raises an Ebenezer. Lord willing, Tomorrow, my family will be at Gettysburg. And I've been to Gettysburg, and if you have too, there's large memorials that are set up. Recognizing and remembering those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Recognizing and remembering significant events and things that have taken place. It's the same idea. We have these memorials that, that we see and it's, it causes us to remember and recognize certain individuals. After Gettysburg, we're going into D.C. and there's large monuments there to remember and recognize Lincoln's contribution, Jefferson's contribution, Washington's contribution, all within eyeshot. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, FDR, and all of these are right there around the mall to recognize these individuals and their contributions. That's what the stones meant to do. They would see it and they would remember the faithfulness of God. And remembering the faithfulness of God in the past would help them in the present to be reminded he's faithful. He's faithful. It would help them as they move forward in the future. Even this morning. So yes, we're, we're leaving. We're supposed to leave immediately when we're done here today. I've got a sick dog. Faith calls, says, I've got to take him to the emergency clinic. And I get upset. 
man, we're going to be late. My plans, everything that's meticulously done, my dog has ruined again. This dog is going to kill me or I'm going to kill it. <laughs> but then I sit down and I glance back at my notes. And what do they do? They remind me of a faithful God. Remind me of a God who has plans that sometimes don't go according to the way we want them to go, but they always go according to the way he wants them to go. And so I have to text my wife and ask for forgiveness for being short with her <laughs> and being reminded in those small things in life, my friends, and in the big things like school shootings that we don't understand and we don't get how can something happen like this. We're reminded that despite what's going on around us, God is faithful. Ebenezer's. Following that battle, and the Ebenezer, Israel has rest. If you know Israel's history, they don't have rest very often. But they even have peace around them, even with the Amorites. It's not just the Philistines, it's the Amorites to the west they have peace with as well. And the chapter closes with this summary about the ministry of Samuel. Ramah becomes a spiritual center. He builds an altar to the Lord there, and they find rest. Many of you, as we move forward, move forward in growing numerically, growing spiritually with discipleship, and even growing physically as we think and consider a new building, we, we do so by looking back. We do so by recognizing and remembering the faithfulness of God to us in the past. We cannot forget where he has been faithful to us. And we should each be able to, even in this moment, think back to certain experiences and circumstances in our life that we would call an Ebenezer moment. A moment where God proved his faithfulness to us. A moment where maybe there was a difficulty and he was there. And it's those moments that we could share and testify of that are our Ebenezer moments to prove his faithfulness to us in the present struggle and in the future struggles that will come. And we're not taking the time this morning to have you share those Ebenezer moments and proclaim the faithfulness of God. But next week you will have an opportunity to do that. I want to lay a little groundwork for next week is Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate the coming of the Spirit, the life, the new life that is ours in Christ. Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave so the Spirit can come. It's something to celebrate that the Spirit has been given to us. Life for us as individuals, the life of the church as it comes together and we want to come together next week and just recognize the faithfulness of God. But we all have one Ebenezer moment in common. It's the Ebenezer of all Ebenezers. It's the cross of Christ. It's the empty tomb. It's what, it's what draws us together week after week to come together. It's what keeps us wanting more because we all have this in common where God proved his faithfulness by fulfilling all of the promises he had made from Genesis, all the ones that are still to come in Revelation in the moment of Christ's death and resurrection. That's an Ebenezer to remember. That's an Ebenezer to rejoice in. 
Paul writes, what shall we say to these things? Well, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Friends, if you ever doubt the faithfulness of God in your present circumstances, you needn't go any further than the cross of Christ to be reminded he gave us his only son. He didn't spare him. He gave freely of himself. And we remember in that his faithfulness. And the work that he started, he won't drop off in the middle. He will finish it. He will see it through. Even you, as wretched as you may be, and as wretched as others say you are, he will finish the work that he started. Have you understood, have you accepted the faithful goodness and the love of God that is yours in the cross of Christ? Have you embraced the Savior that we all so desperately need? Have you found in Him hope and joy and peace and satisfaction? I hope so. If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Today, cry out, recognize this as an Ebenezer day where God's faithfulness, the lights came on and you understand it. If you have questions about that, we want to answer those questions for you. We'll have an opportunity for prayer. For many of us, what do we need to repent of today? What do we need to turn from? What are the, what are the practical steps we need to take to turn to Christ, to, to experience the revival that should be there in our hearts? Be vigilant. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the crux today of remembering the faithfulness of God Maybe your prayer now is a prayer of repentance. Uh, maybe it's a prayer for protection, to be more vigilant because you sense the attacks of the evil one. But maybe it's a prayer to say, thank you, God, for being faithful to me. I'm reminded today, God, of that moment in my life where you showed up. You revealed yourself. I hate to use the term, you showed up. He's always there. But where you revealed yourself to be who you truly are. Maybe it's an opportunity today to just say, thank you. So let's bow our heads. Let's have a moment for prayer. Whatever that needs to look like for you in this moment. If you have questions, you want to know more about the Savior Jesus Please come, we'll take you to the side room, the prayer room, we'll pray with you, we'll open up God's word. We'll help you understand.